This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. that you received when you walked in. Inside, you'll find a message guide. To those who are watching online, a very special hello to you. Please uh, check in with the hosts uh, and the chat bar, and you can find out how to download the message guide. Also, it's an easy way to keep up on everything that's going on. Sarah reminded me that I say a special hello to those who are online. I just say hi to you guys. Read it however you want to. But thank you for joining us. Have your Bibles out. We're going to hang out mostly in the book of Philippians today. A story that captivated me a lot when I was growing up and through my teenage years was a story that got turned into a musical called The Man of La Mancha. It was originally the book Don Quixote was written by a man named Miguel de Cervantes. And in essence, it's this. I don't expect you to know the ins and outs, so I'll tell you. That's what I do. It's in essence, it's the story of an old man who goes crazy. He reads books and reads books and reads books, and he broods over the books, and he broods over what's going on in his countryside and in the government and in the church, and he broods so much he just he goes crazy. He goes mad, and he believes himself to be a knight, and it, his responsibility, he believes, is he's been entrusted with a great quest to right all wrongs. And so he convinces his neighbor to be his squire, and the two of them set off into the countryside to right all wrongs. But he's completely batty. He's, he's off his rocker. He's a hot mess, as you would say if you're from western Ohio. He sees windmills, and he thinks that they're giants. He believes his neighbor to be his squire. He believes that Shaving basins or golden helmets that will imbue him with strength and nobility and courage. And he comes across an inn that he believes is a great castle. And he comes to the innkeeper who he believes is a great lord and asks that the, the lord would knight him so that he could go off in his great quest. But he meets a woman there. The woman's name is Eldonza. And Eldonza is the local strumpet that services the men of the inn. And she believes of herself that she is nothing more than trash, garbage that men use whenever they want and pay a penny for it. But to Don Quixote, she is the lady of the castle. She is Dulcinea. And she is part of his quest. He fights for her. He champions her. And she doesn't know how to receive it. She doesn't know what to do with it. This, this older, batty, crazy old man who seems to see things that other people don't see and fights for things that other people don't fight for and believes her to be something that she knows she's not. Because he's on a quest. An impossible quest to charge into hell for heaven's cause. At one point, he sings it an impossible dream to bear all the unbearable wrongs. 
And by the time the musical ends and the story ends, Don Quixote has died. Dulcinea believes that she really is a lady. That all the things that he said were true. And that she is worth fighting for. Because he had a quest. Jesus had a quest, didn't he? Jesus had a quest. Jesus was on a quest. He said, I'm going to unite heaven and earth. I'm going to bring together these two things that man has broken and separated. Some might call it an impossible dream. His family thought he was nuts, didn't they? They thought he was crazy. They thought the carpenter had like sealed himself in a coffin. He hit himself in the head. Something that Jesus would come home. We don't know what you're talking about. And he said, I must do my father's business. Like he's nuts. He's nuts. He thinks he's going to change the world. Jesus had a quest. The Apostle Paul had a quest. Cover the entire Mediterranean, planting churches, anchoring people in this true story that Jesus came to unite heaven and earth, to right all wrongs, to redeem and to restore. And it was a quest worth living for and a quest worth dying for. Do you have a quest? Well, this morning my quest was to get to the second service. That was my quest today. No, a quest that really draws it out of you. A quest that just grabs a hold of you. A quest worth living for. A quest worth fighting for. A quest worth dying for. Ladies, maybe quest isn't your word. Quest is a guy word. I, I get that. We like, it's quest. It's a quest. She is a, we want to fight for her and die for her and lie down for her. We take up swords and we chase after dragons. But we should all have that thing within us that says, this is worth living for and dying for and fighting for. This is something that you hold on to, no matter how great the monster, no matter how vicious the dragon. This is, this is why I'm here. I want to share with you what I think our quest might be. We're in this spring season that some of us call Lent. A preparation time moving up towards Easter. Some of us have set aside something for Lent. Some of you have set aside things that really bring the monster out in you. We would like to thank you for sharing that with us whether it be coffee or chocolate or something that you eat or drink or some habit that you like to go to and participate and share. And you know what? I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to humble myself before God. And God had prayerfully has been gracious to you. He's been gracious to me. I, I've given up some things that really taste good to me and really are yummy to me. And in the, in the midst of dealing with life, I like to go to to make myself feel better. And I've set those aside. And God has been gracious to my wife because of me in this process because I can be a real punk. I pray that God has been gracious to you in this Lent season. As we're learning to fix upon the cross and become a good and faithful servant. That's what Jesus was. Jesus told this story of a man who entrusted to his servants great treasure and great wealth, the challenge to be a good and faithful servant. And so we've been learning, what does that look like? What does that mean? Jesus was a good and faithful servant. The apostle Paul was a good and faithful servant. What does it mean to be faithful? Yeah, we have faith, but are we faithful to our faith? 
Global Partners came, Teo, sharing his story, an example of good and faithful. Well, now we're going to kind of poke a little bit today as we ask ourselves, what is it that God is asking of us, of a fellowship? What quest does he lay before us? And we're going to find it this morning in Philippians chapter 2. So I'd encourage you to find that. Miss Lola's in the back. She's driving the boat, and she'll put verses up on the screen for us when we get there. If you have brought a Bible, thank you. I'm all about bringing Bibles to church. I think that's a good thing, whether it's on your device or it's a foldable one. That's cool, too. If you would like a Bible, they're located in the seats in front of you. If you don't have one, you can keep one. That's our gift to you. Everyone needs a Bible. Let me give you a little bit of context. The Apostle Paul is ministering to a church in a city called Philippi. It's a church he loves very much and has spent a lot of time with them, but currently he's in prison. And he's heard some things about the church that make him a little concerned. There's a little fighting that's going on in this church. Two leaders, a couple women have started to go at it. And the Apostle Paul knows if we don't deal with this, I mean, this doesn't happen today. But back then, you know, a, you know, a couple Christians might have some issues with each other. It doesn't happen today. But back then, sometimes Christians would not like each other. And he knows that if he doesn't deal with this, this could trickle out. And you could end up with this side versus that side. And we all know what church means. No, we don't know what church meetings could be like. Because this doesn't happen today. It only happened back then. Right? When Christians would kind of fight with each other and argue with each other and want their own way. And he says, so he writes to deal with some of this infighting that's going on. And he even says at the end of the letter, and I want to read it for you. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. These are, these are two women that he served with and labored with. This is Philippians chapter 4, 2 to 3. Just to give you some context of what's going on. I entreat Iodia, not Yoda, Iodia, and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We don't know what it is, but they're not in agreement. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. Uh, he's probably talking to the overseer or would be the pastor and elder. Help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. I mean, these two ladies were a part of his ministry team whose names are in the book of life. So there's some, there's some unrest that's going on in the church. But more than that, Paul also has to deal with a cultural issue. In the Roman Empire, a couple things were really important. Number one was honor. Everybody likes you. Everybody recognizes you. Everybody knows your name. They build statues to you. You get invited to parties and you sit at the end of the table with the host. You are recognized. You walk through town. People step out of the way because you are a great person. It is all about honor. It's all about recognition. Whether you're a good person or not, you're up here. So Paul has all of these things that are kind of collided. A culture that's all about self and some division that's going on into the church. And into that, the Apostle Paul gives the church a quest. Something to chase after. Something to pursue. And it's unity. He says your goal, your quest, your journey is unity. You're like, I, I, I didn't think that was going to be the thing. Yeah. And to God, actually, it's a really big thing. 
Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is where we're going to drill down today. And if you have your notes, they'll be helpful. Uh, I'll give you some things to fill in a little bit later. So don't freak out if I keep talking and we're not filling in. You're like, we're never going to make it to lunch. He hasn't given us the first fill-in yet. You'll be fine. I promise we'll get there. I know you guys, because I'm the same way. Like, man, we don't have first fill-in, and it's already 10 and 15. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 5. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So let me give you just a little bit of foundation on unity. Parents, have you ever used this statement? Because I said so. Grandparents, anyone, have you ever used that statement? Because I said so. Because I said so. Clean your room. Why? Because I said so. Hey, you wash the dishes, please? Why do I have to wash? It's not my turn to wash the dishes. It's his turn to wash the dishes. And it's his, it's even, it's on the tour chart. He's supposed to watch because I said so. It's like the ultimate parental trump card, right? Like we shut everything down. I don't have to deal with your mess anymore. Because I said so. I'm bigger and I pay the cell phone bill. Shutting it right down. Because I said so. Now, as a parent, we think, hey, it's a legitimate thing, right? It's, it's fine to play that card. But if you start to slow it down, it's really a lame reason to do anything. Because I said so. Flip it. I mean, is that how God parents us? Hey, I want you to walk a life of holiness, godliness, and purity. Why? Because I said so, duh. I mean, no. All that God asks of us is always anchored in a more important, greater reality and bigger story. So what's the story? What's the greater reality behind unity? It's not just because Paul said so, or God said so, or Jesus said so. No. It's something far more rich than that. Lola, could you bring up verse 1, please? I want you guys to see something together. We're looking for a pattern that Paul's actually going to play on a couple times in this passage. It's also in other letters that he writes. And those of you who are kind of churchy, it might jump out to you pretty quick. You're looking for three things, okay? There was your first clue. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. If you have a church background, and you start hearing words like Christ and Spirit clumped together, is there anything that starts to come to mind? What? Trin I've heard, I heard the word Trinity, triune. Yeah, that's exactly right. This, this, this three, this pattern of three, Christ, 
He says, what's love? It's not supposed to say the Father. It says love, Paul. Your pattern's jacked. No, actually, he'll say the love of God. That's a doxology that he uses in the end of 1 Thessalonians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. It's Paul's way of articulating the triune mystery of God. The encouragement of Christ, the comfort of love, and the partnership in the Holy Spirit. He says, what we do in unity is rooted in the fact that God himself is three in one. That God is unified. God, the creator, the shaper, and the maker of all reality is unity himself. It's not because God says so. It's because this is who God is. God exists in relationship. The Father in relation to the Son, in relationship to the Spirit, in relationship to the Father, all together, this pattern of grace and love and fellowship. And Paul says, if there are these qualities, if this is true, then the church then walks in unity as the body of Christ. It's because of who God is that we have a quest to enter in to a likewise shape of unity. If you read and study any of the great religions of the world and you go into the backstory, normally it has some sort of rooting like this. There's some God who got angry at some other God and so that God slit his throat and then that God bled all over the earth and from that men came up. Then that God was slaughtered by all of his sun gods and it's death and it's murder and it's mayhem and it's chaos. That's basically the, the root story of a lot of most of the world religions. Until you talk about our faith. Where you have the eternal Godhead existing, Father, Son, Spirit, in love, in communication, and otherness, one for the other. This is the basis of what's supposed to overflow now in what we call the fellowship. And I get it. It's a mystery. Paul, it's daylight savings time and you're talking about the Trinity. Like, bad play, man. Bad play. St. Patrick's Day is coming up, right? Hoo hoo, shamrock shakes. Yeah. Right? Irish stew. We made Irish, get a stew last night. It was so yummy. It cooked for three hours just in the, the meat, just kind of just, oh, so yummy. Patrick, when he was communicating with the pagans who had kidnapped him, when he went back to teach Trinity, what did he use? Three-leaf clover. It's one clover, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Really? Because I just thought it was about beer. No, no, it's actually about the Trinity. It's actually a communication tool. And the Apostle Paul says, everything that happens here is to be a reflection of what already exists in the divine Christ the love of God, the partnership of the Holy Spirit. That has been poured into us in the encouragement that comes from Christ, the comfort that comes from God the Father, the partnership and the fellowship made possible by the Holy Spirit. Because of what he has, he has now gifted that to us. Okay? It's in them. So, remember a few weeks ago we told the story of the good and faithful servants. Master comes along and he says, hey, I have all of this and I'm gifting it to you. Go do something with it. This is how that connects. Because what does the Father have and the Son have and the Spirit have in greatness? They are love. They are love. They are, they are good. They are good. They're kind. God is so kind. 
God is so generous. God is so faithful to himself and to others, right? Have you received, the God? Have you received God's love? Has he given you those things? Have you received God's goodness? Have you been uh, a receiver of his kindness? Has God been faithful to you? In tremendous amounts? What is the good faithful servant supposed to do then? Take these, right? And then invest them into other people. God has poured into us that we would invest in others. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, have this same mind. He goes through in verse 2. He says, complete my joy by having the same mind, the same love, full accord. It's that same pattern again. The mind of Christ, the love of God the Father, the accord, the fellowship, the partnership that's made possible by the Holy Spirit. See how it's parallel? It's parallel. Verse 1 to verse 2. Brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. A church is unified, manifests God's very nature. But it's a quest. So there's monsters in the quest. Good quests have monsters. This has two. What are two vicious monsters? Dragons. Treacherous plagues. That will cripple, wound, and destroy any church. No doubt you have maybe seen some of these monsters at play. Maybe you know some of them very well. He goes on and he says this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or from conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or from conceit. This is a culture that's built on honor and status and blind opinion. And these two monsters, almost evil kissing cousins, are so closely related. Let's unpack them a little bit. And maybe you've seen them around. Maybe in the mirror. Sorry, inside voice. My bad. Okay. Monster number one, selfish ambition. Let's talk about that. What is selfish ambition? A simple word would be pride. It's, it's, it's the desire for superiority, to excel beyond others, to climb the ladder, to put others down so that you can be lifted up. If you, you, you know that, that, that tension? If I can put you down, it will pick me up. Or if I'm talking to a good friend, hey, Gunner, I you know, was praying about so-and-so because, you know, so-and-so so jacked up, right? I'm putting them down. So in Gunner's eyes, what does that do to me? That lifts us up, okay? Okay. I put someone down so that I can be lifted up. Now, we do it with the false air of humility, like we should really pray for them because, you know, blah, 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 blah. it's pride. It's selfish ambition. Our faith, though, is about coming alongside. It's that encouragement word now put next to um, Christ in, in verse 1. Our faith is about comforting one another and loving one another and harmony and affection and accord with one another. How can we do those things if we're constantly feeding the monster of selfish ambition? Promoting self. Me, 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 me. And it's in our heart already. It's not on the outside. This monster is on the inside. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Monster number two, very closely related to monster number one, conceit. 
or a better word would be vain glory. Uh, two years ago, 2019, I did a whole series through the vices, uh, the deadly sins. And that was fun. Everyone, that, I think that was everyone's favorite sin, uh, favorite series. They said, oh, Paul, let's do this again. Let's talk about more issues. Uh, but one of those, and you can go back to April, we did a whole message on vainglory. And you can go back to whoishouseontherock.com and you can listen to that. What is vainglory or here, uh, conceit? It's this narcotic, addictive desire to be thought well of by others and to think well of ourselves. It's the love of the show. It's to be noticed. Or in social media parlance, it's to be liked. Do you understand that social media, the engine of social media, is driven to feed the monster of conceit? Like me. Share me. Click, click, click. Post, post, post. Did you see it? Did you like it? Do you like it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Did you like it? You didn't like my selfie? It's a selfie. It's called a selfie. It's about selfieing yourself. It's about putting yourself out there. It's just the picture, and we'll retake it a million times until we got the best selfie that we can. But it wasn't the daylight savings time rolling out of bed last minute selfie. No one's posting that one, right? Let's be honest. No one posts that one. What selfie do we post? It's the edited one, the slimmed one, the textured one, the highlighted one, the cleaned up one, the filtered one. That's what, it's the one that doesn't exist. Did you like me? Did you share me? And it feeds that monster. Feeds it, feeds it, feeds it, feeds it, feeds it, feeds it, feeds it. How can this exist and the mission of the kingdom exist in the same person? where image is everything and self is everything. Jesus railed against this. Jesus understood how poisonous this was to the kingdom movement that he was starting. This is from his sermon in Matthew 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And he goes to talk on about the importance of giving and the importance of serving. He says, but are you doing it to be noticed? Are you doing it... Are you doing it to be recognized? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't use this as an excuse. Like, why don't you give to support our church? Well, I don't want to feed the monster of conceit. <laughs> I don't want to do it with, with I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to give sin a foothold. Oh, okay. My bad. But he says, you can do good things. From a very dark, evil place. Watch out for conceit. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is communicating to another church and he lists 15 um, actions or attributes of the flesh. He's going to follow that up with what we call the fruit of the Spirit. But of these 15 qualities, eight of them are social. They have to do with our relationships one with another. Let me read the list for you. Okay, he says the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissensions, 
divisions, envy, orgies. These are people issues, disunity issues, discord issues, where the monsters have been unleashed in the church. So Paul says, here's an answer. Let me give you the answer. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing about feeding the self. Rather, you defeat and you fulfill our quest this way. He goes on to say, in humility, count others more significant than yourself. In humility, Paul says, count others as more important. This was Paul's prayer. That a fellowship strive, quest for, journey for, unity. The word humility, we think might be a word that Paul invented himself. The word that he's using here, the way he's combined two terms, which means to think lowly, is used 10 times in this letter. And we don't see it anywhere in ancient literature up until the church age. This is a church thing. This is a Christian thing. Romans did not, there was no virtue in humility. There's no virtue in putting yourself down. Virtue is about going up. But as Paul reflected on Christ and the gospel and what it means to chase after us, you know what it means? It means to think lowly of yourself, what we now call humility. So let me give you, here's your fill-ins, you ready? I know, you're checking your clock because it's nap time. It's nap time. Humility, here's three things about humility just to help us get it. Humility is first this, it's how I think. If you're online, write that down somewhere. If you're here, let's write that down. Humility is about how I think. Think others more important than yourself. Count others. This is a math thing. How many of you like math? I hate math. I'm terrible at math. I, I do words. I do, the, I do the word part. I do the word parts of homework. My wife does the math parts of homework. We don't do it for them. That's not our house. Like, do it. Math is, I'm going to plot out, and I am plotting myself here, and I am plotting you up here. If we're doing less than or greater than, I am less than, you are greater than. As I look at your purpose, as I look at your calling, as I look at you as a, uh, an image bearer of God, what God wants to do in you is more important. I want to figure out how can I help. I want to serve and pour into what you are doing. This is why it gets contrasted with what Paul just said, okay? Watch out for selfish ambition can see. Watch out for vainglory. Watch out for those things that promote self. Rather, our quest is to think. Think about how others are more important. He says this is a defining characteristic of what it means to follow Jesus because this was the defining characteristic of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He looked down and he said, Paul needs my help. I will die so that Paul can live. I will give so that Paul can have. I will do all of these things. I will count Paul, you, as more important than myself. You see this in other places in the New Testament. A couple places in Ephesians. I'll just read them for you. This is Ephesians 4, 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Romans 12. This is a great one. Love one another with brotherly affections. Outdo one another in showing honor. He's not talking about spouses. This ain't no marriage thing. This isn't even a thing with your kids. This isn't even a thing with your siblings. He's talking about your brothers and sisters in the faith. That's what he's talking about. That's the context. So please don't rationalize off yourself. I love my wife all the time. I care for my wife all the time. He's talking about your church people. Outdo yourself in caring for and ministering to and loving and serving your church family. That's the context. It's how I think. I have to make the rational choice. I have to tell myself, this brother is more important than I am. This sister is more important than I am. Not about value. You don't have more value than I do. We're all in Christ, okay? But the priority, I pursue what's best for you. Another aspect of humility is where I look. It's how I think. It's also where I look. Verse 4. Let's write that one down. Where I look. I know, Levi, it's okay. It's okay. Levi is a good name. It's not as good as Paul, but still, it's a good name. Do you know Paul means humble? <laughs> My dad did that to spite me. <laughs> he knew. <laughs> Where I look, verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Remember, we've got two monsters that are just going at it, that want to thrive and be fed. Uh, this selfish ambition, this conceit, pride, vainglory, whatever word that you want to use. We have to deceit those. We have to decenter ourselves. Okay? Stop feeding that. How do I do that? Very practically, I look for the needs of others. That word look means to gather information. It means great effort is put into this. I'm a researcher now. I have conversations with you. How are you? And I don't ask that question so that I can then tell you how I am. Okay? How are you? How, how, how was your week? How can I be praying for you? How can I help you? I heard you just had surgery. Do you need anything? Hey, I'm going to bring some food over. Hey, can I shovel that for you? Can I bring my sons over so they can shovel the driveway for you? <laughs> Hey, how are things go in the nursery today? How are things in the lab? How, how can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? I am mining this person's life for information. This is not gossip. This is not me talking to someone else about them. This is me looking for, to glean on where they are as a person, looking to their interests. What's going on in your life? Because you're more important than I am. Count others more important. So how are you? What can I do to serve you? This is why Christ, we, we studied this uh, a few weeks ago. This is why Christ dressed up like a house slave. He took on the form of a servant. We struggle just looking at each other, don't we? I mean, just actually looking at each other. I mean, look how this room's set up. How's this room set up? Where are you all looking? At me. Right? You're all looking at me. And some of you, especially those who are like me, a little bit more introverted, you are good with that. You ain't making eye contact with nobody, right? You all need to thank me because 
this week I was going to completely change this whole room so you were all staring at each other. I was. I was just like, uh-uh, not happening. I was. I was going to turn all the chairs in so you were all facing each other. And again, I was going to stand right in the center because I'm a jerk. But, but so, so look around at each other right now. Turn, look. Look at each other in the eyes. Look in the eyes. Find people you don't know. Look. Look. I'm not going to go on until you start looking. <laughs> Look around. Yeah. This is, we struggle at just looking at each other. Apostle Paul says, you mine each other's life to find ways to serve and to care and to comfort. And so from looking, where I look, it now turns into humility is about what I do. What do I do? Write that down. See, guys, we're almost there. You're okay. Humility is about what I do. The hymn that we looked at a few weeks ago when we saw Christ as the good and faithful servant. There's the next verses. Let me read them for you. Six, eight, and nine. It's a hymn that the church would sing. What did Christ do? Verse six, Philippians chapter two. Though... Christ, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, house slave. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ came down from his throne to take on the form of a house slave. Some of us really need to get off their throne and start serving other people. It's not impossible. It's just really, really hard. Because these monsters want to be fed, don't they? Me, 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 selfie. Yeah, click, share. Did you like it? Did you see it? Did you like it? Did you see it? Did you like it? Yeah, yeah. But what did Christ do? He stepped down. He emptied himself. He thought, he recognized, I need to serve Paul. I need to serve Aaron. I need to serve Essence. I need to serve Elise. I need to serve Bessie. I need to serve, I need to serve Kelly. I need to serve Eric. I need to serve, I need to serve them. I'm going to step down from here. He humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Meaning, I will look and I will do. Paul, I'm too busy for this. Then you're too busy. You're too busy. This is what we do. This is what the fellowship does. We take care of each other. Paul, I don't have time for this. That's why you were given time. This is the very reason you were given time. This is why you were allowed to wake up this morning. Some people didn't wake up this morning. Do you get that? Not because of daylight savings time, but because their time was over. And God says, you're done. God says, you're not done. I've given you time to what? To fulfill the quest of the church. To model the unity that we share in the Godhead ourselves. To show the world that's all about self. That there's a greater reality. That is service and love. Paul, I, I've been hurt by Christians. You're going to play that card? You're going to play the I got hurt card? 
Like, he got hurt. You were offended. Grow up. Ah, it's definitely not my thing. Serving people's not really my thing. But I'm sorry, Jesus is not your thing. Because this is what Jesus does. And this is what the church does. That, that context, remember I read to you in the very beginning of our time, the, the two women, the two leaders who were going at it. Okay, listen to the words that Paul buried inside of that admonition to those leaders. They're all unity words and fellowship words. This is, uh, this is chapter 4, verse 2 in Philippians. I entreat Iodia and Syntyche, agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, my true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Unity, unity, unity. A lawyer, an expert in the law. What's the most important commandment, Jesus? Oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Oh, good. I'm good at that. Oh, there's one more. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The second one is this. What is it? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in God's economy, you can't do the first one if you're not going to do the second one. It's that simple. All right, so help me start simple, okay? Even the greatest of quests begin with the first step. Here's some suggestions to help make unity a priority. And believe it or not, our first service, some of them are already, are already jumping at it. It's really cool. The first one is this. Clean up your schedule. Many of us are just flat out too busy. You're just too busy. And you literally don't have time to invest in your brothers and sisters in the faith. You don't have time to pursue unity, to pursue love and the comfort that comes from love and encouragement. You don't have time to walk in accord. You don't have time for sympathy and affection with your brothers. You don't have time for any of those things. You don't have time for coffee. You're too busy. Time audit. Pull out last week's schedule. Pull out the schedule before that. Look at it. Where am I not? In, where am I investing in things that are useless from a kingdom perspective? Like they're just useless. This does not move, this does not move the quest forward. Start cutting things. Jesus emptied himself. Step off the throne. Empty yourself. Here's another suggestion. Start serving others. Do it now. Look. Look for ways to serve. I know in many ways I'm preaching to the choir. You are servants. But not all of us. We could all grow. An opportunity uh, to serve on uh, Good Friday when we show Passion of the Christ. Uh, you can serve as a host. You can serve as a, a counselor. You can serve uh, with child care. Uh, God bless one woman came up to me having a conversation. And she says, well, I don't know where to serve. Just put me wherever you need me. I had to sit down. Like, God bless you. Just put That's awesome. I got a little teary. Yeah. Start serving. Here's another suggestion. Have dinner with somebody. Have a family over. Uh, I'm challenging the church family. April 1st, uh, what some people call Maundy Thursday, the Thursday before Easter, the time when Jesus celebrated dinner with his, his brothers and sisters in the faith. Have someone over to your house for dinner. Have a stranger over. Have a bunch of strangers over. Fix some dinner. Don't DoorDash. Order it yourself. Make it yourself. I had one woman goes, I'm DoorDashing. Like, whatever. Just have someone over. And get to know, what are you doing? Mind their life. 
Find out how they are and what's going on and where they're struggling. Get to know them. Some of us know, I come from a Baptist heritage. A Baptist, but you know what we do when we get together? We eat. Right? A lot of you are going to get together in a little bit and do what? Eat. That's awesome. Do it intentionally. April 1st, invite someone over to your house. Someone you don't know, maybe. Or someone from your life group. We have one life group that's decided they're going to get together and have dinner and they're going to do a foot washing. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the supplies. This <laughs> is not happening. Not happening. I've got the supplies. They picked up some of the basins. They picked up some of our towels and they're going to have a foot washing. That's cool. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself. How did he do it? He washed people's feet. Look around. See one another. Miraculous things happen when we start to do this. We're going to talk about some of the overflow in the weeks to come. Some of the overflow in the weeks to come. COVID, March 17th, 2020, last year. My fear was that it was going to kill our fellowship. I, I had panic attacks. We would not have the necessary individual spiritual discipline to maintain our growth when we couldn't be together. Like genuine fear. Not a lot of things fear I'm afraid of. That scared the snot out of me. I'm like, God, this will, this could, this could destroy the fellowship that you and I worked so hard to start because they can't be together. And some of you know because you were part of those last-minute emergency phone call meetings. And some of you, leaders from says, hey, I need you at the church tonight. I need you at the church tonight. Hey, I need you in the church in a couple nights. We're going to get together. And what did I do? I'd broken us all down into care groups. I broke us all into life groups. I took the whole church family, all 260, and I broke all the names. I said, hey, I need you to take care of these people. I need you to take care of these people. I need you to call these people. I need you to stay connected with these people. Okay, this is going to pull people apart. And we're not used to that level of separation. Panicked. Just, it was real. I didn't know what was going to happen. Easter, you remember Easter? You remember that? We pre-recorded it. And broadcast it. I, I was sitting at home. I was watching it myself. And I'm like, this is so broken. Like, God, this is as broken as it gets. The whole reason Jesus came was to bring heaven and earth together and provide unity. And yeah, Andre Bocelli singing Amazing Grace was awesome and I bawled my eyes. But still, I was bawling my eyes long before that. And it wasn't over good things. Like, this is broken. And a month went on, and a month went on, and people started to call. Paul, when can we get together? Paul, I miss my church family. Paul, I miss my church family. Paul, when can we get together? Please. Paul, I, 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 I miss church. I miss being together. Some of you remember that, and you feel that. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, is this what you're doing? 
Jesus, is this what you're doing? I'm not saying that COVID was engineered by dark forces in deep state. This is a fallen, broken world. There's diseases all over the place. There have been pandemics all throughout history. You watch too many movies. Stop it. I will say this. Dark forces are happy to jump on those things and leverage them to bring about disunity and discord and isolation and separation. Oh, yeah. But all of a sudden, I started to hear good murmurings. Paul, when can we get together? When are you going to open the doors? Can we open the doors? Can we do these things? I'm like, is this what you're bringing us together? This is what you're doing. God, this is amazing. You're going to do this miraculous thing where you undo 200 years of bad American conditioning and bad church habit and individualism and bootstrap consumerism. You're going to bust through all of that and you're going to do it through a pandemic. You rock. That's awesome. And so we started to get together. Do you remember some our first Sundays back? Dude, that was weird. Because none of us were like, do we touch each other? Do we not touch each other? Do we wear a mask? Do we not wear a mask? I don't wear no mask. I'm wearing a mask. I'm out in the parking lot because everyone's like spaced out. We don't quite know whether we can infect and kill each other yet. And we're just all trying to, and then there's old women just coming up and loving on me. Right, Martha, you walked up in the middle of the parking lot. I don't care, Pastor. I'm giving you a hug. I'm like, Yes, you are, sister. Come here. Love me. I love you some. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're made for community, aren't we? And like, God, you're fixing us. And then two months later, we'd forgotten all of it. And we started overscheduling again and forgetting again and forsaking again. So who knows what he'll have to do next. There are churches in the world. I'm talking now on on a, a large level, national level. Churches like China and the Koreas and the Vietnams are amazing bodies of unity. And you have no idea what they have to do to pay for it. To dream the impossible dream. To fight the unbeatable foe. To bear with unbearable sorrow. And to run where the brave dare not go. This is our quest. To follow that star. No matter how hopeless. And no matter how far. To fight for the right without question or pause to march into hell with a heavenly cause. It's not impossible. It's just really, really hard. But we can do it together. Artists, would you help us please? As the artists come up, we have a, a, a sacrament here. A sacrament is a fancy way of saying, uh, we're going to take something that's invisible and make it visible. Right, Aaron? Uh, Elder Kenneth, we talk about this all the time. 
Uh, baptism is a sacrament. Lord's table is a sacrament. Um, marriage is a sacrament. Sometimes people will come up and they'll take a rock, their Ebenezer, their stone of remembering, and they'll place it over on the cross. Maybe this is a prayer request. Maybe this is a burden. Maybe this is a sin. It's a way of doing something in the body that is going on in the spirit. It's just, it, it can be a helpful thing. But this, where we're at right now, it's the opposite, isn't it? We're moving in the opposite direction. To you, God has said, I'm giving you love. I'm giving you my goodness. I'm giving you the treasures of, of my gentleness, of my kindness. Uh, I'm Paul, I'm, I'm loading up on you in faithfulness. Paul, I'm giving you all of these treasures because that's who and what I am. It's the kind of God I am. So maybe for you, what will be helpful is not to come up and place a stone, but maybe come up and receive one. Something that you can just put in your pocket for the week. A reminder that says, I'm going to consider others more important than myself. I'm going to serve others. I'm going to ask about others. I'm going to check in. I'm going to look to others. As, as God has poured into me, I commit to be a good and faithful servant. I'm going to, I'm going to do that to them for what Jesus has done for me. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.